Well, good evening. Yes, today is good, amen? And it is good because of the one that we serve, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, this is a special Holy Week. I know many of us have spent a lot of this week in a time of reflection and prayer, um, beginning with Palm Sunday and uh, ultimately concluding uh, this Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But this evening, Good Friday, I'd like to take a few minutes just to look at some scripture and uh, go into a little bit about what happened on the cross and what Jesus did experience. But before we begin that, I'd like to just read a quick excerpt from uh, a book, Once Upon a Tree, written by Calvin Miller, who was a 20th century pastor and author. And he writes about an experience years ago when he went to a movie. This was in a day and age many of us, I know I haven't experienced, but when you used to get dressed up to go to the movies. And at the intermission, you'd go out just like you did at a theater or a concert. Miller was attending one of those epic biblical movies that came out in the 60s. He writes, just before the intermission, the crucifixion was presented in breathtaking color and drama. As Jesus died on the screen there, in that movie, a terrible dark storm formed behind him. The camera caught streams of blood flowing from the wounds in Jesus' hands. The stream of blood would flow down the cross and into a depression in the stone at the base of the cross. Then the rain began to fall. The rain accumulated in that small basin and mingled with red blood. Soon the pool filled to overflowing and began trickling down the mountainside. The red blood combined with other torrents of rushing water and it finally became a great crimson tide for this world's salvation. But more than that, for my salvation, he wrote. Suddenly it was intermission and Miller made his way to the theater lobby. In the lobby, men laughed and chattered as though nothing had happened. Jewelry-bedecked women tossed their heads in joyful glee as if it was just another night out on the town. Children clamored for a drink at the water fountain. A noisy line formed at the concession booth. It was not that I had gone to that lobby expecting everyone to be collected in little prayer groups or hear them singing Amazing Grace, he said. But most people who see the cross are not impressed with it. They can see it, walk away, and forget it. Yet the Christian who sees the cross and values it is a person who understands his or her debt. He or she alone owns the cross. And just like Miller's account that night at the theater, we all have experienced or witnessed the message and impact of the cross to be nothing more than a casual story and perhaps just a historical event to many. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And that's why we're all here tonight. We are here to reflect on the message of the cross as we sit here some 2,000 years after Jesus' sacrifice took place. We are here to remember this world and life-changing event that has touched and affected each and every one of us here tonight. So I want to start by asking the question, what is a crucifixion? 
A crucifixion was one of the most agonizing ways a person could be executed. It was designed to inflict on its victims a slow, painful death, potentially lasting over days. In fact, the word excruciating means out of crucifying. It would be bad enough if it stopped there, but this form of punishment was also humiliating. Think about it. Everyone is watching you because it was public. Because of the horrific nature of dying in this fashion, it served as not only as a penalty for criminals, but would hopefully serve as a deterrent for future criminals as well. What is fascinating is that the very form of punishment was exactly the way Jesus died. Yet he wasn't a criminal. He didn't commit any offense or sin, but he was crucified as if he had. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For a moment, imagine being Jesus, walking up a hill, carrying the cross that you would eventually be nailed to, people yelling insults and mocking you, suffering for crimes and sins you didn't commit, having to die between two thieves who were even mocking you at one point. These are not pleasant thoughts to think of, yet these are the facts Christians should know about crucifixion. So this evening, we're going to turn to scripture and read these passages as we look into what happened on the cross. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start in verse 32, and it's going to be up here on the screen as well. You can read along. Verse 32 states, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There, they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The first thing that I want to look at us today is what happened on the cross was that there was pain. Jesus didn't sleep the night before his execution, crucifixion. On Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he almost died from spiritual and psychological depression of bearing the weight of human sin. Early Friday morning, he was whipped raw and bloody. It wasn't yet 9 a.m., and the soldiers were prodding him to his crucifixion. Typically, the condemned prisoner was taken on the longest possible route through the city so as many people could see him as possible. His crimes were written on a board, hung around his neck, or carried ahead by a soldier. When they arrived at the cross, the sign was nailed over the victim's head for everyone who passed by to read. Verse 37 tells us, above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus collapsed under the weight of the cross he was forced to carry. The soldiers knew there was no point in beating him to get him up and go on. So they drafted a pedestrian along the road. The Romans occupied the land of Israel and compelled civilians into service whenever they pleased. A soldier simply touched his spear to the shoulder of whomever he wanted, and that person became a temporary slave. The choice of the moment turned out to be a tourist from North Africa. His name was Simon, 
And he was probably in Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to the holy city, and he never imagined he'd be carrying a cross, being humiliated in the process. This death march reached a place called Golgotha, outside the city wall, where the local crucifixions were held. Apparently, the lay of the land was that the hill looked like a human skull, and that's how the place got its name. It's unimaginable to think about what they did next. Jesus was laid on the cross on the ground. They bent his arms and drove spikes through the base of his hands. They bent his legs and nailed his feet to the vertical wood. And then the soldiers raised the cross and dropped it in a hole in the ground so that it would stand up straight. Just imagine, imagine the pain that Jesus was feeling at that moment, hanging by the nails, rubbing his raw back against the cross, screaming in agony, fighting to get a breath, and bleeding to death. There was a group of Jerusalem women who regularly brought spiked wine to give the victims of the crucifixion so some of the pain could be dulled by drugs. Jesus declined. He chose to take the agony of crucifixion full force. That is the pain of the cross that Jesus endured. As we read on in verse 38, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come on down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The next thing that happened on the cross was that there was insults. Those nearby mocked and insulted Jesus. The soldiers divided up his personal clothes, figuring the crucified man wouldn't need him. Getting the clothes was one of the perks of an executioner's job. Then they sat down to get comfortable and waited until death. Imagine, and imagine this, being so used to waiting as, and watching as a man died, a horrible and humiliating death. I mean, that's insulting, but beyond that, it's just pure evil. And Golgotha was along a busy road with much foot, foot traffic. The cross was low so people could see and talk to Jesus. They laughed and mocked him, saying that if he was really the son of God, he should be able to free himself from the nails and come off that cross. The religious leaders who were behind Jesus' crucifixion came to see for themselves. They taunted him, asking why God wouldn't help him. Even the criminals being crucified on either side of Jesus joined in the verbal attacks. Tortured and dying, they mustered the strength to add to Jesus' insult and humiliation. Yet Jesus did not defend himself. God did not speak on behalf of his son. It looked like the critics were right. Cynics today have the same posture towards God. Why doesn't God perform a miracle when he could? How can a good God let innocent people suffer and die? It's easy to ask these questions 
when we don't have a proper understanding of who God is and his true nature. These people who witnessed this crucifixion were just that, cynics of the time, unable to see God in the flesh among them. No understanding, no empathy. In fact, nothing in their hearts other than hate and insults. And this is a picture of the insults that happened on the cross. Reading on in verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elah, Elah, lema shabakatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. The next thing that Jesus experienced on the cross was loneliness. The first nail was driven into Jesus at 9 a.m. He did not die until 3 p.m. I have to imagine that must have been the six loneliest hours of his life. Most of us, I know I have, have probably wondered at one point how and when we will die. We all have a day to be born, and we all have a day to die. We understand that the choice will not be ours, but there's something that is universally agreed upon, and that is that none of us want to die alone. We want those who love us the most to be by our side when that time comes. And the most awful moment of Jesus' crucifixion came when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus felt completely alone. Did God forsake Jesus at this awful moment? 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus was stained with our human sin. He had never personally experienced sin before in his life. Now he was overwhelmed with sin in his death. God dumped on him the concentrated sum total, and try to fathom this, of every murder, every lust, every envy, every rape, every theft, every profanity, every act of racism, every injustice, every sin from every person, from every generation. Jesus, who had never sinned, was made sin for us. God the Father loved his son, but couldn't even look at him out of disdain for sin. Something happened between the Father and the Son in those awful hours on the cross that we will never know or understand. It was so deep, so awful, that Jesus felt totally forsaken and alone. He cried out in desperation, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the smallest comparison, we sometimes tasted a little bit of Jesus' horror. We all felt abandoned by God at some point. We felt overwhelmed by sin and circumstances, desperately alone, completely hopeless. We too have asked God why he has abandoned us, but he hasn't. God never gave up on Jesus, and God never gives up on us. Reading on in verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, 
The rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God, they said. Many women there, watching from a distance, they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's sons. The next thing that happened on the cross was that there was death. Matthew reported Jesus' death. He did not emotionalize it or sensationalize it. He simply explained when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. The same goes for John. He tells us exactly what Jesus said. It is finished. And in John 19.30, he says Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the end, it was Jesus who chose the moment to die. He voluntarily gave up his life as a sacrifice for human sin. When Jesus cried out that he felt forsaken, I'm sure that there was a desperation in his voice. When he cried out, it is finished, there was victory in his voice. Jesus was like a marathon runner, breaking through the tape at the finish line. Exhausted, weak, and totally drained, he said, I made it, I did it, it's over, the race is won, it is finished. The Bible says that Jesus was born to save people from their sins, that he came to seek and to save the lost. He was the suffering savior, the sacrificial lamb, the only way to God, to salvation, and to eternal life. He left heaven to do this. He became human to do this. He was born in Bethlehem to do this. He suffered and died to save sinners like us. And he gave everything. At the final moment, all heaven watched in awe as the Son of God himself died. He did it. He completed what he came to do. It is finished. And at that moment, everything changed forever. The earth quaked. The temple curtain that kept everyone from the holiest place where God's special presence abided was ripped apart from top to bottom. Tombs burst open. Dead people came back to life. The Roman centurion knew that something amazing had happened. And he even blurted out, terrified, surely he was the son of God, he said. At this time, I want to ask Pastor Anthony to just come up as we close. The final passage of the scripture we're going to look at tonight is verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he'd cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in the front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Lastly, on the cross, there was a burial. It was over, or so they thought. Unable to imagine that something bigger, better, more amazing was less than three days away, the family and friends of Jesus scrambled to bury his body. 
Jesus died at 3 p.m. The law required burial before sunset. His family was too poor and too far away from home to make the necessary burial arrangements, so a stranger offered his grave. Ironically, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the same group of Jerusalem leaders who called for Jesus' crucifixion in the first place. His name was Joseph. He had believed in Jesus and did not conspire with the others to kill him. Joseph approached Pilate, secured Jesus' body, and had him buried in his new tomb, cut from rock that he had recently bought for himself. And that's what happened the day Jesus went to the cross. He experienced pain, insults, loneliness, death, and a burial. All of it for you and for me. The price was paid, but it didn't seal the deal. So as we go about the rest of our weekend and we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday, let us not forget the events of this Good Friday and the sacrifice on the cross Jesus made for all of us. Because it's Christ's death that paid the price, and it's Christ's resurrection that sealed the deal. Amen? Let's close in a time of prayer. Father God, words cannot express the action of love that you took on that cross that fateful day, Lord. Taking the weight and bearing our sin. Taking the penalty of death for us so that we can live, Lord, is an absolute act of unconditional love. And although I know that you died for each and every one of us, you would have done that if it was just for each individual here, Father God. And that is something that we are just so forever grateful for, Lord. We truly can't understand the pain and the agony leading up to this day, Lord, what it must have been like for you to go through, knowing that this was all going to happen and unfold the way it did, to be betrayed by one of your own disciples. But Father, you did it anyway because you had a plan in place to restore us into right relationship with you, and we are so forever grateful for that, Lord. So although today is, is a somber day where we do think about what the sacrifice you took upon that cross is, Lord, it's also a time, a day, a weekend that we can rejoice and celebrate, Lord, because we know what it meant. We know what it meant for, for you to to die the death you did, but ultimately to be resurrected on that third day, Father God. And, and in your resurrection and new life, Lord, we have new life in you. And we, we are forever grateful for that, Lord. And I just pray that each and every one of us will live a life worthy of the gift that we've received, Father God. We love you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.